welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for, frankly, way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony and Dave, still here. Still here? I think we have all graduated past rookie point. I think we're all going to stick with this for at least the foreseeable future until one of us falls into an obvious death trap and we need to roll up a new character. Until then, we're going to continue bringing you all the great D&D tips we know. Before we begin today, I just want to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, You've been great. Our audience has been growing across Twitter and Facebook, and we love you all. We appreciate you all. Please send us the kinds of things you want us to talk about, whether it's a comment on Facebook or Twitter. If you want to send us an email at 3wisedms at gmail email.com let us know the kind of thing you'd like to hear us talk about because we have next week a uh audience Q&A session coming up and we'd love to uh, we'd love to get your questions into that you can also fill out the what's your problem form on our website or uh, yeah really reach us pretty much anywhere you see three wise DMs now for today's episode and Tony will turn it over to you in a minute here we want to talk about long-term campaign storytelling so the difference between you know we hit encounter building but now let's talk about how do you really tell a story and keep the thread going across a lot of sessions across your campaign, keeping players interested and invested and following along. And Tony, this one was a little bit your idea. So uh, why don't you go ahead? All right. Thanks. With storytelling, where do you begin? Some DMs say they've pulled together central plot ideas in like 15 minutes and others spend 30 hours and believe their work is nowhere finished. Where do you begin and how much time do you advise working on a campaign plot? Hmm. So is that uh that's where we're starting off? Where like, yeah, like, I'll throw I'll, I'll throw yeah. that question out to my pure wise DMs here. <laughs> <laughs> see, this is where I might not seem so wise because okay, here's where I start. And it actually it all starts the same way. Uh I sit down and I think about what kind of thing I might want to do in a game. So for instance, right now, so I've I've got one campaign I'm DMing. And it's kind of like, you know, I've been putzing around a little bit. Only the one campaign, like I have more creative energy than one campaign i usually like to do two and so it's kind of like something catches my interest like so right now it's eberron and once something catches my interest whether it's a setting or it's maybe it's kind of a kind of bad guy i want to work with or a kind of realm i want to work with like another one was um i've always wanted to do a little bit of a low magic celtic campaign Mm. um so i get an idea like that and it's very much like the inspiration for a story but it's not a whole story it's more of a setting and a situation and kind of a world i want to play in so with the Eberron one, I'm already kicking this around. I would love to do an Eberron campaign where I get the players together for session zero and have them build a team to do something. And the players tell me what they want to do and they tell me the kind of characters they want to play. We bring it together and they form not just a character, but a party right then. I then work them into Eberron and we go from there. So say they want to be thieves. Well, then we're going to do, I'm going to be working with the thieving side of Eberron. If they want to be monster hunters. We'll figure out a monster hunter hunting way to approach Eberron. With the Celtic one, the idea that's been moving around in my head is um, it could be it could be pseudo historical. It could be in the real world, uh, but it would be something like, okay, the players would start in the Celtic world, kind of like in the Celtic Britain or northern Gaul, kind of an uncivilized area that's I shouldn't say uncivilized because there's civilization. Clearly, I mean, these are the people who became the French and the English eventually. (laughs) But, you know, it's a it's a setting that is more, you know, more woodsy, more forest gods, more ancestry gods, um, a little more, you know, you have iron swords and in basically having those people interacting with the Romans coming. So the campaign idea I had would be something like 
The players start in, in the Celtic lands. It's low magic, but the players can be magical. That's not necessarily a problem. Like they can do almost anything they want. But then the, they would probably start out hunting monsters and hunting forest spirits to protect their clans. But then the Romans start encroaching and they start kind of maybe one of the characters could be Roman, like an early Roman scout. But the Romans want, Romans want to come and conquer them. So you set up a campaign where now the players by about the third tier, second or third tier, have to turn around and start trying to befriend these forest spirits to help them fight off the Romans. So it's a little bit alternate history, a little bit fantasy inspired by historical things. But so that's how my campaigns usually start. I get a bug. Something crawls in my head and starts percolating around. I'm like, ooh, I'd like to play with some people in this. And I don't want to write a book about it. I tend to have a hard time figuring out the character side of a book. But I have a world I want to play in and have players engage in. And for me, that's usually where it starts. I mean, what about you, Dave? How, where's it come from for you? Yeah, uh, I love that. I actually I kind of want to play in that Emerald campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really interested in that Celtic one. I know you uh you I'm getting it. visions of you, robot Romans now. This is interesting. Yeah, no, he uh, Thorn two different campaigns. Right? <laughs> Emerons and Celts. Like, we're not we're 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 not bringing them together. Maybe. Maybe later. Maybe, maybe later. Maybe. When aliens invade the Celtic campaign and they're from Eberron. <laughs> but yeah, you had kicked uh for that Kickstarter as well for that Celtic uh campaign setting, right? Yeah, that's that looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, so as I've said in previous episodes, I really like um, the idea of uh, prior to session zero. I like to pitch my campaign, so I give a session, I give four or five ideas of here's things that I would be interested in running. Then I like to see what the party wants to do. But with all of them, I generally have if it's not something that's already uh, Prepackaged like Curse of Strahd, right? That kind of has already a campaign arc to it, at least for that level, that, you know, from first, you know, first to 10. Um, but like for the Slaver's Bay one, I absolutely had to have a general idea of what's going to happen in the world for all the tiers, uh, which is completely malleable by what happens with the characters too. Uh, but I have some general. Uh, plot points and ideas as to who the big bads are going to be and what forces are going to be at play and what would turn into a, let's say, level 20 final epic uh, adventure and, and battle and whatever. Um, but then you have something like Curse of Strahd where I have the world and I have the, the NPCs and I have the story already there. But then I get to take all of these characters' backstories and their own like ideas of their story arc and tie them into the world in a way that makes them uh, let Barovia kind of come alive, you know. So it's not just oh, this is a cool module we're playing through, but it it makes it something special that you'll never recreate, even if you play Curse of Strahd again, right? But yeah, I have a general overview of where it's gonna go. That I think where it's gonna go. I don't know. I like to keep it simple, especially because it's not. Um, I start by placing my PCs, my NPCs, and, of course, the setting. Uh, and I like to load the beginning up pretty heavily, but not to the point where everybody's lost, at least not just yet. It's not a novel. Um, <laughs> as far as time goes, I really do recommend feel free to throw 100% in there. Otherwise, you'll never know how good it could have been. And... Um, when you start things off, please encourage your players with this plot to fill their roles, and you'll never know. You'll sort of discover who's the tactician, the actor, and the puzzle solver in your group. I will say there, just to back up on that, Tony, piggyback, that was a good point, though, about, like, how much time, right? 
And I think we kind of covered this a little bit when we were talking about like prepping for sessions. And it's hard to put a, a time on it because we have the time where we sit down at our at our laptop or a, you know loose leaf paper or our phone, whatever the hell we're using, our freaking chiseling and rock. Mm-hmm. But we I'm have that step, time, yeah. right, where we're literally putting together what we're doing for the session. But then you have when you're driving to work and when I'm walking. I was the thinking about that today. And you know, like I know Chris Perkins says this too. Most of his D and D stuff is come when he's taking his dog for a walk, and I totally get that because I'm just out there and my mind's just going. Yeah. But that's that's just time, time, time. But you, I don't like log it in the same way. So big campaign stories, uh, that's just kind of something that's always there and it's always shifting and changing. You know, especially as the PCs play play into it, right? No, that, that that's very true, and. Um... I originally said one of the earlier podcasts, like, oh, yeah, I prepare four or five hours. That's a lie. I think I'm probably (laughs) sick. It really is. I think last game, if we played for seven, I could safely say overall I put 10 hours in. Well, with what you were playing with in that game, I I don't blame you because that was (laughs) a lot of moving pieces. You know, and there is that real divide between when do you come up with your story stuff and when do you come up with, like, you do your actual hard, nitty-gritty work of building, like, the campaign, the, like, the play maps and stuff. I remember, so we mm. talked last, we talked a couple episodes ago about the the campaign where I had the world blocked of magic, where, where, where I'd taken Tony's wizard to and cut mm. him off and everyone off from their magic, and that had the... They had a barrier around the world called the Imacon Jacinda that had basically sucked all the magic out and was blocking gods and magical energy from getting in. All that stuff came to me when I was working. At the time, this was actually back in college, and it was the summer, and I was working at a graveyard basically mowing lawns all day. And just <laughs> out there, mowing lawns, we, you know, tri- trim- trimming around headstones, and just... While I'm doing that, you know, you're zoning out and you're thinking about the game. Or when you're driving, if you have a long drive or to work, you know, you're zoning out and thinking about the game. That's when I get my ideas. Yeah. And somehow we didn't wind up in a a gothic campaign while you were in this graveyard. I'm kind of surprised. (laughs) It was a very very modern. It it wasn't technically a graveyard. It was a memorial park. And the difference is memorial parks don't have headstones. They have plaques in the ground. So, like, it looks like a Ah. field. And that's the whole idea. So it was a very kind of open field and beautiful uh, memorial park. I think it's I think it's full up now. Um, and there was like a there was actually there was a uh, there was a horse farm across the across the road from it. So in some of the lots you could you could see the horses running around while you were vacuuming while you were uh, while you were mowing. And the guy who ran it was a professional bagpiper. And he was teaching his kids the bagpipes. And he was like he was in a bagpipe like <laughs> like one of the Scottish plans where they go and professionally play. Wow. And he would have people and he was teaching. So while we sometimes when you're walking in, they'd be piping you in like you're out in the highlands somewhere. Great spot for campaigning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's nice. kind of yes yeah, where that's where that whole campaign mostly was kind of came from was me and that me and the memorial park just coming up with new ideas about uh, what I wanted the guys to do because I was bored. <laughs> I think we overlook, yeah, that's one of the things I throw in there. Boredom is such an important part of the, any creative process, especially D&D. When I'm really busy, campaigns get hard because I'm never bored enough to have those kinds of ideas. So I was like, I show up, I'm like, all right, what are we doing? All right, we're going to have some fights tonight. Here's some fights. This will make some sense. We're going to go. If you don't have downtime, you don't have boredom that kind of lets you stew up ideas without having any pressure on you it can be hard to keep coming up with those. And I think that is something that can affect, I know my DMing. And yeah, I, don't know, do you I would guys agree find with that? that. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. 
you need that downtime, you know, you need that time yeah. for inspiration and intuition to take all those disparate pieces and create some kind of picture out of them all of a sudden. So when we're putting the actual campaign together with the structure of one of your games, do you guys recommend a sequence of modules held together by a central plot or should everything be structured and built into a series of, of events, which are climatic points in your story, or are we talking something entirely else? Thorin disagrees with all of that premise. Then lay it on. <laughs> you let Dave go first before I start, you know, before I start. Thorin disagrees with the entire story. premise of your question. Great, I can't wait to hear it. I reject your reality and substitute my own. That is the entire premise I'm working on. This is the wrong department head to put your thesis in front of. This is no. not, not it. I guess you guys want to say, you want me to start with that? I can, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, sure. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> because now a couple things that are, are tricky. Uh, one of the big ones, and I've seen this play out, is you're, you have a story in your mind, or in my case, a world in my mind, which is a little different and I would argue a little easier to play with. Because I don't care what happens. Like, I don't have, like, a story I want to – I'm not telling the story of someone's redemption. I'm not trying to do the mm -hmm. long arc of the Vader – of, you know, of, of Darth Vader's children. I'm not telling the – I failed you, Anakin. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really just exploring this world. So, like, the one that's kind of most vivid in my mind would be, like, the Celtic one. So if I were going to do that, that would play out as, like uh, – you know, the, the the early beats would be the the party kind of defending their local towns, fighting against these kind of forest monsters and other things that are in the woods, maybe some forest spirits, some goblins, some works, some things like that. And some things that kind of set the scene, because I want to build up what that world is. The second portion of it, like kind of the, the tiers two, three, would be Roman incursions and them dealing with really kind of tactically smart, very civilized forces. So now we kind of cut from a, man against nature to a nature to to a to a kind of a uncivilized noble barbarian kind of culture fighting against kind of the civilized dirty human dirty civilization kind of thing a little conan-ish and that's the way i think about it though is to me i'm thinking in themes i'm thinking in the way the players interact with the world and what grows out of that so basically my plan would only go that far and from there i would let it play out as the games play out because the the tricky part of running any campaign is you have a story in your mind, but the players experience this episodically in game sessions. And those game sessions may have multiple, it may be multiple episodes to multiple sessions to one episode. Your one episode for you might be, hey, they're going to go clear out this castle. I've been in a lot of games where clearing out that castle took three or four sessions. Maybe that's a couple months of game time. Are we in roll 20? Then probably, yeah. Then it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's even What's more. around this corner, Dave? Ah! <laughs> and it can be really hard to get players like players are not experiencing the story like a TV show, movie or even like a book. They're experiencing it like it's like a bunch of very detailed scenes with threads tying them together. That's the player experience. And I think it's always like that. Mm. So getting them to kind of get the world and get the characters and get what's going on and get the backstory and still remember a plot is the challenge. So I kind of, once I know what I want to do, I want to play through it episodically at the table and have the end of each adventure lead them to what they want to do next with some clear goals they want to accomplish and some clear ideas of what their characters care about. And then, so I'm not really kind of trying to go, okay, I want to hit these beats. I'm trying to let the session grow from one thing into another. And where I want it to go, I'm going to try to control that by what the threats are and what their goals are so they remember what they're doing and lead to it. 
you know, that's because I'm not doing a story. If I'm doing a story, you know, I don't even know how I'd handle it. I guess I'd break it up into, into modules. You break it up into chapters, have them play through the chapters. You could do that. I mean, I think that's a great way to do it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just so not my style. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Dave, no, I, mean, I think you? everybody kind of knew that that's where Thorne was going. With it. I think he made a good point, too. It reminded me of something uh, I remember uh, Matt Colville talking about where he talked about the central tension. In, and I think he pulled it from someone else, but uh, the central tension of the campaign. You know, so what is your big question, in essence? And then that's kind of what drives the general campaign. So it, an easy thing would be like law versus chaos, right? Or like you said, man versus nature, right? Um, and that kind of gives you a sense of what the what's the driving force behind it, regardless of the window dressing that that is. Now, for me, I love... Uh, as you guys know, I love kit bash and I love taking uh, existing modules, uh, existing encounters, existing dungeons, whatever, and uh, pulling them apart, reskinning them, maybe running them exactly as they are. Um, but what I'm doing is I have a general idea of the next session, where we're going. Okay, and what are they going to get to? And then what's going to be there? So if it's something that's going to be some sort of seaside town, well, okay, then I might be talking about some sort of, uh, you know, uh, mariner type encounters and things like that. But where they go with that, that could be a simple thing where they stop in the, in the shanty town and they pick up some salt cod and they move along to the mountain range, right? Or all of a sudden that turns into they just, uh, confiscated a boat or they commandeered a boat and now it turned into this nautical adventure that now we have to figure out where we're going um so even if i'm going you know stringing along a set of modules or a set of uh you know uh stuff that i've reskinned it's still very based on where are you and and what has the party decided to do and where are they going and then i can kind of throw some things out to give you clues or give you ideas as to Here's some other things that you've heard, just rumors and gossip in the world. But even something like uh, Curse of Strahd that's prepackaged, it's still very much in a certain, I, I don't like the term, but it's a sandboxy kind of thing. You know, it's very much, well, what's the party doing? There's obviously like, um, they, they, they do definitely railroad you at times, but it still allows for the players to make decisions and kind of craft the world and, and approach things in a way that might change what I'm doing next session, which it absolutely has. Open world, like less sandbox, more open world, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I would say that, that Strat is, is a little less open world and definitely more of a sandbox if we're going to use those terms, because it just gives you, it's one of the things I love about it because it gives you a, here's all of these things that are happening. So in this town, this is happening. In this area, this is happening. In this area, this is the bad, whatever. Um, and the big bad is obviously Ravenloft and Strahd. But, okay, well, what, what do the players do? I mean, some players, you guys wanted to head right to jump in the wagon and head right to Ravenloft, and you were level three, I think, or something. So it would have been you hilarious, Dave. Yeah, you right. absolutely can do that, right? Or you could head this way. And that's kind of what's cool is that it gives you a uh, – but it's, it definitely corrals you into the world. Right. Which is uh, so it, it's it's nice in that. I, I like that. I think I'm actually coming closer to uh, the way Thorin comes about things, uh, but in a, in in my own way. You know, I definitely like to see where the players are taking it. And that kind of decides everything. Well, running a sequence of modules uh, can be less work. 
uh, unless you're like me and you get bored with the plot and then you plot half and then install, like I said, 250% of your own. Oh, I don't material. know what you're talking about, Tone. What are you talking about? Anyone listening to this campaign about what I've done in Storm King's Thunder must be completely perplexed. They're like, yeah, what? Like, like, I, what? I actually want to run it again when we're done. One of us will run it and we'll see what, what that turns into because. Uh, I think it'll be really, really different. We'll I just, just do a speed run to see if we can do it with uh, yeah. the, the speed run to get kind of one artifact and see if you can win the game that way. Well, yeah, right. one, yeah, one, one thing that I, I'm just going to say, spoiler alert on this module, um, which really perplexed me a little off topic, was that they only wanted you to hit one of the giant strongholds and then go to the, the climatic finish. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You guys professionally drew up five other total clan halls, and we're going in one before we go to the big finish? Like, my, my mind's blown. Like, that's such good material that you're – I mean, I appreciate really? the agency, but, yeah, you don't that's, really wow. need to. You I got to say, totally uh, optional. Totally. when we're done, when we're done this adventure, I'm buying Storm King Thunder, and I'm going to look through it because I want to see – because Thorin said this before, and now I can see it. I absolutely know when you're off book at this point. And then when, when you're start. Yeah, and then when you're on book, I'm like, oh, we're in the module again. Oh, okay. It's like, if he's not reading, we're probably off book. <laughs> no, no, because he's started to do now. He's created his own text boxes now, I think. Yeah, yeah. no, there's a, that, that's a great tool, actually. Um, honestly, the second method where you're structuring everything to, uh, hitting beats, if done correctly, I mean, it's a lot more work and it's more risky, but if it's done correctly, you're going to create a campaign that hopefully your friends are talking about three, five, and even 10 years later. Uh, however, that that's presented to the wrong audience. It's a total disaster. But, uh, I want to say back in the day, uh, we had like the dragon magazines, the dungeon magazines. We got these one shot modules that were yeah. just short and sweet. You ran yeah. out of module, and guess what? If it stunk, who cares? On to the next one. No pressure, no fast prep time. You could read it, you know, a bit. And some of them, you really wish they had expanded on um, much deeper. You, yeah. you know, people are doing that right now. Like, there's the DMs Guild has stuff like that. Uh, there are several, like, newsletters you can get a part of. Like, I joined, I think it's his name is DM Dave. Uh, we shared some of his stuff on the Facebook page. It is not this Dave. No, <laughs> it's not no, our day. This is a different. There's several DM now. Day. Yeah, there's yeah. several DM Daves, DM Davids. DM, I gotta figure something out. I gotta figure something. I out. gotta say, I, I you know, you know uh, expecting parents, I really recommend going with a name from deep mythology that no one else is going to have. I'm the world's <laughs> only Thor in the gate. I've checked this. Only one. I hear there's some other Thorns living around Minnesota because the Vikings hit New York. Are like, <laughs> no way, and they just kept going until they found a lot of trees. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. There aren't other thorns in this, in this game. Unless they're it, actually mountain dwarves, then maybe. Yeah. Right, uh, yes, yes. A lot of characters. Um, but, you know, it's... So there are sometimes... I could see running a more story-focused campaign sometime. And I guess, for me, the trick there would be really tying the party and the individual players into it somehow where they're strongly driven by that goal. Because that's really the determinator of how far... How close to the plot do they stick really comes down to how much do the players care, which comes down or should come down to how much their characters care. 
But if their characters don't care, if the characters aren't directly tied into it, or only a couple players are, you wind up having a module where not everyone's really, you know, they're paying attention, but, you know, you're not hooking everyone in the same way. So you kind of need something where everyone's got a real, you kind of got to start them out with, okay, here's your background and here's how your character plugs into the story. You want to go get revenge on this guy because he killed your parents. You, he stole your parents' farm. You, he owed you money. Like, everyone's got to have, like, a get shorty reason to go complete this campaign. <laughs> Yeah, that's, it, those are the yeah. hooks you draw them along with. If you bring characters into a world and they come in with their own backgrounds and you expect them to run your story, it's tricky because you need to give them a good enough reason to want to play by your story. You got you got to hook them somehow and kind of keep drawing them along. And that's the hard part because characters, when players come in with their own character ideas, and you try to sh you try to kind of say, okay, you have your background, but here's the story. Welcome to it. Get on board. Then you kind then it can be tricky to to, to really kind of get them motivated by it. You kind of got to tie it into the player backgrounds, I think, if you're going to have a tighter, more novel or TV show type story. So two things on that, I think. One is uh, it's very important. We talk a lot about session zero and about you know talking about the campaign prior to. I talk about pitching my came out. I give several ideas because that very reason. So like we're running Strahd. So everybody came with characters that, like even uh, Thorin and Phineas's character, you literally came with a with a, a backstory that ended with, and this is why I want to go after Strahd, right? Yeah. And people came with things that said, okay, this is why I might end up now in Barovia, right? And then I brought you all in and blah, 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 whatever. Because you know that you're playing this this story, right? So with Storm Kings, I specifically put into my backstory some stuff about why the fuck I'd be around giants, right? Why would I why would I care to go after this, right? So that's a little different than if you're just like, okay, we're gonna start a campaign. But my second point is we've I think I've said this before, uh, and we've made the point that things don't necessarily have to be either or, they can be and. And I think this idea of either uh, like your idea of playing with the world and then the characters kind of form that. And then the idea of, quote, story can be an and. It's just how much are you allowing the characters to influence that? Because in Woodstock, you absolutely have a story there. Not just the world, but the world is the story and what's happening in it. So you have a very pretty much def definite idea of the story, but our actions are playing with that. In the same way, I have a very definite story with Strahd or Slaver's Bay, but your actions are changing that. So I think that it's it's very much depending on what what kind of game are you running, but then it doesn't have to be this or that. It, it can be both at the same time, but it's more about giving player agency. Well, with the subject of uh, pitfalls, uh, I'll throw this one to Thor now. Uh, from your experience, what pitfalls would a, should a relatively new DM avoid like the plague when creating one of these stores? You've got to be very, very... And actually, it's what we were just talking about. Yeah. You have to be very mindful of why do the players care? Why do they give a flying fuck about what you want them to do? <laughs> this is the most important thing. It is the easiest thing for a DM to get wrong. Because you're having very different experiences. You're having an experience. We're holding a campaign in your head, a story, a world, NPCs. You are tied in to the long 
to, 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 the, to the big tent of the story. Like you've got little tendrils from your head into all these things. Players experience it very, very narrowly compared to what you're seeing. And, and also, you know, you're going to get together for a game session once a week, once every two weeks, once a month. I don't know about you guys. I come to different game sessions as different fucking people. I've said this at work. I'll say this here. There are different me's. The me who comes in tied into his character, who knows what his character wants to do and can talk in character, is a different me from the guy who comes in like a like a paid killer trying to assassinate every monster. Different different weeks, different moods I come in in, and they're totally different experiences as a player and as a DM. You get different thorns. Um, and that's the hard thing is you've got players that you have to realize you're going to come to every game as a different person. Your players are going to come in as different people. They're coming having different weeks, different things they care about. And you need to make sure you hook them and string them along in such a way that they're going to maintain focus on what you want them to maintain focus on. I think the trick to it is relatively simple goals and beats that you can kind of reiterate several times a session. So you don't just kind of focus on what are we doing today? You want to make sure you're reminding them of why this ties into the big story and what else is going on and make sure they're remembering that. And you want to make sure their characters care enough that they are invested in it. Even if it's just because, Hey, we know we want to get this cool thing, but they, they, you need that player investment in your story, your world and your game. And if you don't have that, you wind up losing players or you play through a game where the players just aren't experiencing what you think they're experiencing. They're not mm. connecting in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talk about that all the time with the psychology of it, right? Be behind the screen and in front. And something that just occurred to me as you were saying that, Thorne, because I thought it was great, uh, great points. Um, but it made me think of like, let's say like, uh, the Star Wars franchise or Star Trek or, the, or uh, you know, the Marvel or DC franchise, right? So as the DM, right, with your story and your ideas and your world and all this, you're coming in like the fanboy of the series, mm -hmm. right? So you're coming into every single film already having read the Wikipedia on it and checking out all of the That's a great analogy. and all of yeah. the fan theories about it. And you're so tied in that you're seeing all the Easter eggs that they're hunting, right? And your players might be coming in as fanboys, but they're probably coming in as people going to see whatever film they're going to see, you know, uh, the man of steel, right. Or, or Phantom Menace, right? And you have to be able to make that one film enjoyable and engaging, and that, and then maybe you'll tie them into the whole franchise, but they're not coming at it with the same level of intense scrutiny on the minutia as you are, and they're not capturing half of what you're throwing down. I think we were just talking about this with your question on our text thread about Storm Kings, because we've had several sessions now where we had big, big, big info dumps and lots of lore and lots of backstory stuff. And you went, what exactly are we, why are we doing this? You know, and it was that why question. And it's made me think because I take pretty intense notes and I'm actually going to be going back through them. But it did stop me and I went, wait, hold on. I mean, we're all there because we're playing D&D &D and having an adventure, but like you want to be invested in the story and... Tony knows what this story is down to its bare bones, but we're approaching it from very different angles, right? And kind of putting together a picture through all of our experiences playing it, um, which is which is very, very different. Uh, so you some of that stuff that you think is coming across might be getting lost to them. 
That was actually, that was kind of why I brought it up because I think I have paid attention and I don't know that that ever came through clearly. And I wanted to take a minute to just kind of recalibrate to kind of, to make sure I'm not missing plot. Cause we have been very kind of, you know, okay, you have this next deadline, next deadline. So, so Tony, I mean, you're the DM in this and, and obviously this text thread was sent to you and everyone else. I mean, like, like what do you see in there? Well, okay. Uh, you're jumping to question point six here. <laughs> I was going to make because that yeah, was a living um, conversation. I want, I'm going to give a little context to the audience too. I'm not sure if you guys know this is uh, Tony's lightning round episode. <laughs> okay, so really- my um, point six is why are we on this quest again? Uh, and uh, it was what if your story confused your players? Seriously, I need to know the answer to this. Um, <laughs> So in my game, uh, you're talking about things, people not picking up what you're putting down. Some of these things, I I have to point out an an irony here. Like in Dave's game in Strahd, like when a person walks in a bar, that person gets bombarded by questions. So we're like, we're all over this person. And then like we get to the end of my game and then we're out of the game like, yeah, that was great. All right, so what happened? And I'm like, wait, who are you asking now? Like... (laughs) Well, I will, I will say, uh, being having been playing in a game with Thorin, playing in games with Thorin and being uh, a DM for him and being DM'd, Thorin as a player, and this is what kind of struck me about this specific um, incident, Thorin as a player is incredibly invested in the story that's happening. He is very much, he's the one asking a lot of the questions. He's trying to see the other angles. He's really trying to, to piece these things together um caveat this is the one game where i'm playing a real meathead okay and then, and then some of that could be that as well right but just you're 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 invested player it's not like you're on your phone while we're playing you're very invested but it's there's so much that's going on and it did make me it did make me kind of think maybe we need to recalibrate and say whoa hold on like what exactly is happening here? You know, it was an interesting point. It was and the an reason, part of the reason I wanted to bring it up too, and I'm glad we're talking about it because Tony, remember we talked about your last game, the second edition game. And I said something similar in that, like we talked about this recently during the winter, we were having coffee. We we're talking about our games and we were saying about the game, the second edition game, but I was saying like, I didn't necessarily come out of that really remembering the story very well either. But when we went over, I'm like, yeah, I remember the beats. Like, I remember we did this. I remember we did that. I remember that info dump. And somewhere along the line, sometimes the, and maybe it's because of the way the characters plug into it. Sometimes the specific, like the setting doesn't get lost. The story we're in at the moment doesn't get lost, but the, the plot can sometimes get lost maybe because it does kind of rush. Like, cause you are always like, you know, like, okay, go to this next thing, go to this next thing, go to this next thing. And I don't know if somewhere in that, sometimes the reason why it gets lost for a, well, Hey, we just know this is the next fight. Go have the next fight. You know, it's like the difference between, huh? It, it, can, it can be the difference between yeah. a video game where you're just kind of going through a series of encounters and a video game where you're kind of more self-directed like, Oh, well, I want to go there because of this. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I am paying attention, and I've kind of hit it twice. Um, I think that, yeah, the, one of the pr- things that happened was, and it's a point you brought up on a previous podcast, is players retain X amount of information per game. And yeah, yeah. I did do a big info dump in that game, <laughs> and something got lost. So, honestly, what could I have done differently as a DM in that moment? I've thought about this, and I want to say to, to all the DMs who are listening – uh, I think any kind of criticism um, should be taken reflectively 
And some of my best achievements as a DM have occurred because some of my things I did did not turn out to be solid gold. I took a look at them, and I learned from them. Not to jump off this topic, I remember one game at one point, I didn't do a scene where the characters all came together. And the party then, I just put them in the party because that's the way the module had it, not Storm Kings, although they did, they did do this in this game. Um, but I but I did put have a whole intro scene for them. Um, and it kind of, it, it caused the party to never really gel properly. And that party dissolved like around level seven or eight. And I, I always held on to that one mistake I did and said, no, no, we're not, we're not repeating that one. But in this case, with these big info dumps, like if you have these moments where the party has gotten to some real answers in the story that was not always on the table and clear. If it can be like in roll 20, I just take it right off my um, my word doc that I have. Yeah. Cut yeah. and paste. Boom. There it is, guys. If you don't catch everything, don't pull your hair out. Go read it later. Now, I will I will add to that and just say that when we then kind of went back and forth with what was, well, I think this has happened. I think this I feel like we came, I think it was Scott that was responding. I think we kind of came to a, okay, yeah, this is what's happening is we're trying to restore some order so they don't just kill all the little folk and, and entirely, right? That was uh, Amber, actually. I don't think, I mean, did Amber? Oh, is that Amber? Okay. That, that was Amber. Maybe recently. Like, part of the reason I sent that that text was also just to give you the chance to tell us, Tony. And that's another thing, like. Like, because this is not something only you were guilty of. I have absolutely had times my players have been like, why are we doing this again? In the Woodstock <laughs> Wanderers, Tom, the paladin, uh, Sir Morton, keeps me very honest because he is constantly remembering what his character wants to do and trying to go off and do it. And it's like, even if it doesn't work, like, like, like he will try to kind of go after Brother Maynard who he wants to save. And that keeps me honest. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like, well, why are we, why are we going down? Why are we looking at this tree? I want to go see Brother Maynard. Who cares about the Elven City? (laughs) Is Brother Maynard there? Okay, I guess we're rushing now. I wish you told me that last week. So that was actually part of my, part of the reason I'd asked that was I was like, okay, maybe I'm forgetting something Zephyros told us. Because the, 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 the gap is between, like, I just, I just haven't, I can't remember. I don't know if we've seen, like, it's like, okay. We know the giants, the, the the giant council has been taken over by the evil giants who are under the control of Sarkaleth, and the rest of the giants are running rampant, doing their own thing, and the king's not keeping them in line anymore, and neither is his daughter. Okay, so somehow yes. we gotta free we gotta free the daughter. There's a big question mark between where we are and that, and even like the well, we gotta go conquer all the giants to steal all their stuff so they'll respect us when we go walk in and talk to them. Feels awfully shallow. Like <laughs> that, you, even that plot. I'm like, really? Like our plot? And that just sounds like an excuse for us to steal all their stuff. <laughs> and so that's like, I'm just, I'm trying to remember if I missed something Zephro said, or maybe it never really was connected by someone on the inside of the giants' council of, yeah, here's what you gotta do so they'll listen to you and do this. No, that was a hypothesis given by the party. That's not actually yeah. the plot. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that some of, this, some of this could be still developing, too. But it it made me think, too, it's like some of the, you know, like a television show that like you really love. But one season, you're just kind of like, I'm not sure where, like, why are they doing that? Why, like, who is that person again? And it maybe it is, Thorne, that... Uh, that it it uh it has a very um 
you know, encounter, encounter, you know, like like scenes, you know, which is very helpful in a lot of ways to move everything along. We've talked about how much information Tony gets through in a night. It's it's still mind boggling to me. Uh, I mean, I got you guys on a goddamn road for five hours of actual game time, and it's like, oh my god, I've gotten to nothing. Be fair, what my was running around the yeah, wolf. We were I've doing something fucking done for an entire session. You know, I hope they had fun, but nothing happened. You know, but Tony has this. You know, we're like, you were light years beyond. But um, Tone, is it? Could it also be because you started to? Uh, put other things in in the story, you know, like you said, take half of it out and then put in your own stuff. Does is that is that muddying the overall plot, or is it just that we haven't well, got it yet? I think that okay. So the plot point that is unclear was hinted at when Jacob or Amber's character recovered his memory, which you did with the genie. And yeah, then when you met the ice devil, that one character, like not everyone was in that. Like that was the character getting their memory dumped back. Like I know for me, I'm in character trying not to pay attention to that. Well, you succeeded. And, uh, but, but, but okay. But that's like, what else should you expect? <laughs> and then, uh, you talk to the ice devil. Barely. On the position of that. And then you were at the temple and then at the next position. So I would say what I did wrong with the temple scene was I should have revealed one plot point. Mm. I shouldn't have done a double because something got lost in that translation there. You know, I went back and I actually looked at what we have written down from the temple. It doesn't it mentions what each giant leader is doing. It doesn't mm -hmm. mention what we should do. Other than obviously, hey, maybe go stop this village from getting destroyed by these giants. Where we slaughtered one of the queens of one of the giant clans and I imagine it became giant public enemy number one. <laughs> Well, we're, probably not, we're on the radar. We're on the radar. <laughs> They're absolutely misbehaving. Um, but uh, no, that one idea about the plot was a hypothesis. It's not actually okay. what it is. Well, yeah. Um, without saying, like, we're getting a little, I don't get, we're getting a little lost on um, that. But uh, maybe yeah, we should meet someone who puts us on the right track next adventure. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, well, I maybe. I Actually, want to make one caveat here, though, for everybody, especially DMs out there that are, you know, like, it seems like we might be beating up on Tony right now. Uh, I will say this last session that we just had, where, like, a lot of these questions came from, was an immensely enjoyable session. It was so engaging. The the encounter and the battle was so, I mean, it was edge of your seat kind of thing. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, time flew. So realize that your players can still be having an awesome time and then go, hey, what the fuck are we doing? You know, and that's OK. It doesn't it's not necessarily saying like, you know, anything went wrong. Uh, it's that it's that open line of communication like we're always talking about. I, I, mean, I think that something can go wrong and I think it did. But the question there and lies, it's like, OK, it, it's just from a DMs, from my perspective, from driving, it's like, OK. Like, everyone's like, yeah, that was a great game. We get all these texts. Oh, I loved it. That was fantastic. Thanks for running that. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. Question marks. Like, what? <laughs> like, this is like the next day, too. Um, I thought about it, and I actually did go back and check the notes. That's why it was the next day. <laughs> so my takeaway from that as a DM is control your plot dumps. If you drop too much out there at one point, some may spill out of the glass. And there you are. And I think... Actually, Thorne, I'm glad you spoke up 
because um, I've, I've met plenty of people who've been in classrooms who didn't know what the hell was going on and never raised their hand. <laughs> and that's, I would actually, so one thing I would add to this is maybe part of it was on the front end, but you know, one thing I mentioned when we first started talking about how do you keep the players hooked is repetition. Like I think, and we wrote an article about this earlier, you can never rely on the one time they heard something for it to stick. I think if you want something to stick, you've got to like hit them over the head with it eight games in a row. Like people got to keep reminding them of that thing they care about or they forget. Like it's almost, it's, it's, I, I never try to hang on to the players. I never try to trust the players remembering any one thing that happened, even if it was a big thing, because the time involved, the episodic nature of it, the fact we're all coming, like, like fact we're all coming to the game as different people on different days. Like you need to repeat the important stuff. You can't count on them catching it all because even if they're playing, paying attention, your players are going to be unreliable narrators of their own story. You know, you've got to keep. That's hilarious. It, if it's important to you, you've got to keep harping on it to keep them so they remember the important stuff. I think that's that's one of the things because yeah, like I'm thinking like if we miss something in like with uh, with, with Zephyros with the, with the giant wizard who who was guiding us on at one point, like if I miss something in that conversation, I'm like, it's been like a couple months, right? I mean, it I, has now. You haven't yeah. seen Zephyros in a hot minute. The uh... I will. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I actually set a small timer. You guys might hear it while we're playing on Roll Twenty. I set a small timer, and then when it goes off, I just yell "Strahd" as loud as I can, <laughs> just to make sure that the players hear it at least like eight times a game. Like, so I'll just be in the middle of a monologue, and then I'll go "Strahd," just so they know. But no, you know, it, that is actually a really good point. Uh, thorn is that keep hammering it home you know until it's you know yeah because i don't think there's any like there's no, there's no art of storytelling you can use that makes sure they remember all the details or even the big details like it's like only repetition that's all you've really got is hit, hit them with it multiple times because i've had it in my games i mean even in i think the uh, the last game you played with me tony i don't think everyone remembered kind of like why we were doing things sometimes I know at one point it was like hey why am i adventuring with these dudes i don't know because that's who everyone picked man as a player I did, and it made me want to slap the crap out of people. It was just really, I'm like, what, like, what do you mean? Like, and I have to tell you, I understand that it's tough because people are in a lot of games too, and we yeah. play bi-weekly, and in your case, we're playing monthly, and that was that was rough. Like a once a month game is like, geez. And then if we have a delay, then it's like instead of like it gets pushed back two weeks, you know, it's six weeks between a game. So that that was definitely that's definitely a factor. So going forward, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna cut and paste some things in a roll twenty, control the uh, info dumps, and perhaps we need to kind of do a recap at the beginning of the session. And I think that covers it. My only regret with this is I had wished it's, it's double edged sword. I wanted you to tell me that you didn't remember something, but at the same time, I kind of wish we had done it in character. It could have been. It could have been. Mm. I thought it was texting mm. in character. <laughs> you should have been angrier with more teeth if you were. Um, <laughs> How do you text in bugbear? Hmm. Yeah, that that would have been that would have been a fascinating but, question. Was, there, there was at least one typo in there, so I mean that could be texting in bugbear. I mean, go back. Like I talked earlier about like the film franchises, right? But like Star Wars, right? Like the only reason I know literally everything about Jedi is because I've watched those movies. I don't know, three hundred and seventy-three times each, right? I didn't get it all after that first watch, right? I go back and then I pick up this and I go back and I pick up this. So yeah, that idea of repetition, you know, keep keep putting it forward is is uh, I think that's quite actionable. There, there's a military concept, like when they teach, especially in the Marines, when they teach someone 
to be a leader. Like when they're teaching someone how to have a battlefield voice and bat- like issue battlefield commands, they talk about knife hand. Knife hand is you don't point, you, you do your whole hand. So you speak in clear, simple terms. I want you to go over there. You point with your whole arm and hand, big motion over there, numb nuts. <laughs> and, and you just keep it simple. You keep it direct. You keep it so obvious they can't miss what you're doing so people can understand it and remember it when they're distracted. An aspect of that comes up here, I think. Like as a DM, you need to be giving intricate, loving, emotional stories in knife hand. <laughs> <laughs> I expect to see knife hand now. Wow. Right. I'm Italian. I already talk like this. I'll be knocking over everything. It's just, all right. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So, yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, tell you, does that help you, though? I mean, do you kind of, do, do you feel that like, like, you could, like that's helpful for you and for the people listening? We're going to find out because I'm going to try these actions in my own games. <laughs> I'm going to go, and I am, like I said, I'm going to go back through my notes and I'm going to kind of paste together. I'm going to put, create the red yarn, uh, box window thing and, and have all the connections you know it's not a bad idea one of the one of the one of the fans on uh facebook who was talking about who was talking about our post about pacing uh actually it was, it was one of the memes we posted about how your characters don't how your players don't pay attention how you know the player who doesn't pay attention is basically the two old guys from jumanji too <laughs> so jumanji is that bethany's kid is that barbara's boy <laughs> yeah is that barbara's boy right <laughs> One of the one of the one of the guys who commented on that said they have actually they're guilty of it and they actually have a dedicated party journalist. One of the players draws the it, diary. We used, yeah. yeah, you know, we used to have map makers. You don't need map makers in roll twenty, so someone's the journalist. He's got to write down the party journal. I, dude, I have yeah. a lot of notes, so I'm gonna go through. <laughs> I'm gonna create it. I'm yeah, gonna you know what? In my one of my previous parties, I was spoiled. I had someone, and that that player, she wrote yeah. everything the hell down. Yeah. Um, there's some tr- there's some truth there. Um, I'm not going to pose a, a very challenging question, uh, gentlemen. Here, uh, the caption here is: "Is he dead? Dead? Um, how do you handle when a character who is central to your plot and the vibe to the game dies? Are they dead, or is it time to play? Let's make a deal. PC no or NPC? PC. 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 No one's ever dead. What do you think? Yeah, Dave, why don't you go ahead? I've been, I've been. No answering. one's ever dead. Dead. I mean, comic book, book rules. How set? Well, no. I mean, just five E rules, right? Because five E like, rules. Well, yes. Yeah, so, and then well, prefaces and not easily revivable. Not without how, like, real extraordinary. How central? How central to the plot could the character be before he hit, they hit the second tier, where you have the ability to bring people back from the dead, okay. or or there's a priest in town that absolutely can bring it back to the dead. Stay with yeah. disintegrate. He's, he's dead. They're, they're, he died uh, no. in some way. <laughs> while, while, while we have while we haven't hit them too much, there are 100% ways to kill kill characters in Fifth Edition. Disintegrate's a big one. So is Finger of Death. If you die from Finger of Death, you're brought back as a skeleton and you can't be you can't be revived. You're a skeleton now under that yeah, necromancer's yeah. control. Yeah. Right, there is even right. at lower levels ghouls having the write up that they will eat a character when he's down. So if you're dead by ghoul, some some DMs will read that as the ghouls will actively eat you during the fight. So if you die, die, the ghouls have devoured your corpse. You can't be revivified. There's ways to make it stick. There are traps in the Storm okay. Thunder All that right. you just True. that I you just bypassed. I didn't use some of these guys. There was two of them that were I looked at and said absolutely not. And DMs can comment on this and say whatever they want. There was one <laughs> trap. So you're messing with runes in that temple. 
uh, before you got to the Oracle. If you hit the fire rune by mistake, so like if you hit the ice rune, it's like, oh, ray of frost, it's cold. Or you hit, like, you know, the uh, lightning rune, it's like, ah, oh, storm of vengeance, that's so inconvenient. Ah, oh, that's terrible. Hit the fire rune, meteor swarm. So my character would look at you guys, then look at the camera and say, well, it was fun while it lasted, and you're on the business end of 20d6 bludgeoning, save, 20d6 fire damage. And there's just molecules of everybody. Dave's character would have died eight times from that attack. Oh, that, there's, yeah, there, there's no way of bringing Roderick back at oh, that point. I still only have the, like 36 hit points. That's an average of 140 points of damage. Yeah. Yeah book trap and there were rock traps in that temple that did straight book 10 d10 i'm like that was from first edition uh, first edition that's what thor's hammer did well that's that's 55 so that'll put us down but it won't that for the party we have that'll put most of us down but i don't think it'll take anyone straight to death without being very unlucky except for roderick who yeah he, he would die I, yeah, I mean, I can't take that much unless I'm great bait at the time. And then there I might be able to take. So, okay, uh, so here's my point with this. Character dies, he's dead. Like, you're not just going to go to, like, you know, the, the mall in D&D and be like, I have to buy some chocolate reviving potion uh, candy. You put it down his throat and he springs back and goes, oh, that, that death was inconvenient. He's dead. So, what what are you doing here? Do you leave him dead? I, or do you, or in this character, and you're, of course the player's like, hey, I've been playing this guy for a year and I really like him and he's dead. Where are we with this? Yeah, I mean, that happens. I mean, I don't think anybody should be so central to the, like Florence says, to the quote story that you can't have them in it. I, I, I that's, that's where I would, yeah, I would go more towards the world side of things. Or it turns into a quest to somehow get this person back. So, mm. I've had this happen probably more often than Dave has. Uh, although we've, as we've mentioned, I'm not so focused on the story. I've had it happen in one player games before, you know, is the one PC essential to the game? Yeah. The one dude you're playing with kind of is, unless you have him running a party, which maybe I should have done. That's how, as we talked about last time, that's how I got Samurai sat here. <laughs> um, so, but you brought him back. Yeah. With, and I kind of brought him back lights. in a way that made sense. And it was fun. Uh, you know, this is the tough thing. So I think, and I think my answer is going to depend on the players and the party. So I have many times brought back essential characters, not so much lately, um, but I've brought them back usually through some kind of divine intervention, sometimes dead, dead. It's just how your priest gets to meet his deity and get a message, you know, and then the deity's got a mission for them and sends them back. I don't mind doing it. And the light. More important than do you bring them back is can you do it in a way that is heavy and it has meaning or is it just, you're just bringing them back. So you don't want to lose them. In which case, what do you do? It's always going to be case by case because if I you're in a situation, yeah, if you're, if you're in a situation where that character, where that player is going to throw a fit and leave the game, you got to think about it differently. Maybe that's okay, but it doesn't need to be, you know, maybe you work something out then. If there's not a good reason to bring them back, I would rather them coming as a new character I like having new characters come in because I'm going to have that new character come in with new information. And that is what can be annoying when a character doesn't roll with that. It's like, look, I'm bringing in a new, I'm bringing in as a new PC, but I'm going to play with whoever you want to play with. And I'm going to give you new info and new stuff for the game. We're going to move the plot forward with 
fuck. All right. Yeah, but you're throwing a fit. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm what? sorry you were meteor stormed, but you get to give the, the, the existing party information. Huh? Well, or yeah, but I mean, you also maybe send them in with some magic items or something. You reward them for bringing a new character in. You can make it mm-hmm. so long as they're not All so, right. so tied to the old character. And this has happened recently where I've been like, look, what do you want? We can do whatever you want here. What kind of character do you want to do? Let's do something neat. I'll bring you bring you in with some cool stuff. Like, you know, you, you kind of play because they're coming in hot with a new character at that level. You can bring them in with new things. You can bring them in with new info. They might have new resources that the other players don't have. So I'd try to probably leave them dead, but rem- I don't see why you can't move them around in the plot unless the plot's like, okay, you're trying to restore that guy's family's honor. Well, honestly, I'm probably not going to make that guy's family honor that central to my plot because my plots tend to be more world-focused than individual-focused. If we're playing like um, Dragon Age, where you know part of Dragon Age is trying to put the rightful king on the throne, even in Dragon Age, the rightful king can die and someone else goes on the throne, right? You can even swap out the rightful heir there so I think I would always be able to move on without them. Whether I do is going to have more to do with what I think makes a good story. How can I make it heavy? And how much of a, you know, what's this player? It's kind of sad because if the player rolls with it, I'm going to reward the player for rolling with it. If they throw a fit and just want their guy back, they might get their guy back with some negatives. All right, you died. Here's some penalties. <laughs> you know, it's you can I take the new guy with the new hotness or you can take the old busted dude and he's bro- he's got a permanently broken <laughs> leg or something. You know, I mean, it's... What about you, Tony? How do you handle this? Uh, I feel like this is the ultimate catch 22. Um, you can't, death must be a present factor in the game. It must be real or you have that lack of tension. If you don't have the lack of tension, if there's no tension in the games, then players are playing week after week. They're like, okay, I assume we're going to succeed. And it's dry. On the other hand, character dies. You can't whip out the che- the big wheel of Limburger and be like, okay, I'm reviving you in some way that does not fit the continuity of the story. First edition, this was much more prevalent, uh, prevalent because characters would get blown to molecules pretty routinely. <laughs> Their character would be, like, all over the walls, the ceiling, and so forth and so on. But you know what? I mean, yes, in D&D, is death typically permanent? No. No, it's not. But I, I would not sacrifice my continuity and risk jumping the shark. Yeah, so you'd basically find a way to... What do you do to make it worthwhile, though? I will say with that, uh, you guys can, I don't know if you have checked that out, but a lot of people share it around. Uh, but it's Matt Mercer's, uh, in essence, reincarnation or resurrection uh, protocol, mm-hmm. which is a series. He, in essence, turns it into a group party skill challenge. Um, and the DCs change depending on how many times I think the person has been brought back. Um, and each time the party has to, they're in essence... Uh, you know, uh, changing the fates of the universe. So they're having to do something and make roles based upon that. You know, they're they're going to scream to the heavens. They're going to do this. They're going to whatever it might be. And they're making these checks that turns it into um, into a group thing, you know, that this That's matters. Interesting. That's kind uh, of cool. it's, yeah. he, it's a whole it's actually a, it's a cool mechanic. I mean, they, they do it on the show when, you know, whenever people. Uh, die and whatever but uh but they, i think they've he's actually published it you can find it online um but yeah it's a whole mechanic to try to give a level of that gravitas to um you know dead dead but Sonny, you were saying like, like how do you how do you make it how do you make it feel worthwhile if somebody is dead and they don't want to roll up another character and 
that's going to cause a major problem or it's going to affect the vibe of the whole campaign, then, I mean, even the Dragon Balls only bring somebody back once. <laughs> yeah, I Goku mean, came back more than once, didn't he? And he couldn't come back again, but he said, no, guys, really, leave me dead this time. <laughs> no, so I want to say Goku came back twice off the top of my head. But the point definitely stands um, where we've talked about if death um, dies, then it, it'll, it'll take your whole campaign with it. Because it's, just, it's like, oh, my character died. Oh, no. Well, like, you know, what are we playing? Final Fantasy 1, where I just walk his body back to, like, you know, the cleric of town. Ah, he's up. Okay, well, that was annoying. It can't be like that. It, it has to be, be like Eris, not every other time you died. Well, I mean, honestly, like, I would say one way to handle this is, you know, you, you die once, you come back, you make a thing out of it. Second time, maybe a devil tries to intercept you from coming back. Maybe he's got his eyes on you now. Huh. Maybe he's uh -huh. harassing you. We've got to, there's got to be some more, there's got to be some more skin on in this game than, than like, oh, no, I paid X, you know, to the cleric or the shaman or, or whatever, because otherwise it's uh it it really strips i mean the reality of that you can have a magic world and have plenty of believability but the believability like oh death is just annoying and if you have money you can come back to life that just causes an altar like like the house of cards falls down but it is you know i do think there's some fun to be had in the idea that okay you've died in a non-reviving a revivable way if the player wants to hang on to his character, maybe what happens is he meets some otherworldly being who is now going to bring him back, but you're actually in that otherworldly being's employ. I've had fun with that. I mean, Cass actually something. Did, yeah, did Cass yeah. just come back that way once? I mean, basically, he didn't exactly die, but he was he was effectively he was his his soul was lost. And he came yes. back to a pile of bucks. I mean, yes. something like that. Like it's maybe there's other downsides. Maybe you're just getting more and more of your you're getting more and more trapped in a devil's web. Something like I think that can be an interesting way to do it. Like you know, Constantine. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Constantine. We're like Jack Sparrow. You got You have to turn over forty thousand souls in order to, to keep yours. <laughs> forty thousand. Those are like my prices. My God. <laughs> Well, but I think what started this whole uh, this this line of questioning was really more about not if you're fighting the big boss and you go down in a noble, honorable death and all this. Right. But like literally you walked in the wrong spot and got blasted out by a meteor swarm. Right. So almost like accidental death or death that you didn't really have a any choice in because you didn't choose to. Yeah, the trap, got, the trap got you as opposed to you choosing yeah. a poor direction. You know, and Thorne has said this before. He doesn't mind if you made some shitty decisions in your life and now you're dead. But he's not going to specifically just drop a meteor swarm on you because, you know, you looked left instead of looked right. I think that's a little bit different. Um, so if it's accidental death, you know, some sort of trap yeah. like that. I mean, but there's also, there's, there's, there are, you know, it, there, there are different levels of accidental death. I hate a situation where the DM's like, well, I had you make six rolls and because you failed four of them, you die. I don't like characters dying just because their roles didn't go their way. Um, at the same time, there is something to be said for you want those actions to matter. So the roles have to matter to some extent. Yeah. So, you know, you split the difference. Sometimes you do die because of the roles. I mean, hell, anytime you die in combat, you die because of the roles, right? The Tarrasque eats you. You're not coming back. Those uh, unforgiving first edition natural 20s. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I mean, hey, there's still Tarrasque in this game, too. And if they eat you, I don't think you're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, probably not. 
if the Kraken takes your body and decides to the you know, mount it as a display under the sea, I don't think you're coming back. Okay, so that's how we handle player death. What else? What else is on your list here, Tony? All right, I got one more before we go to closing here. That's a dumb idea. I'm sure we've all we've all crafted a story or rolled out an idea that we got a lukewarm reaction or was outright disliked. Um, so this could be any terms of a key theme or a story or a setting. So what do you do? Change course, make adjustments, or full steam ahead? Well, are people literally just being like that stupid? It's happened. Trust me. For me, I, for me, like I just wouldn't. I'd be like, all right, well peace then like i don't like like we're we're, we're having a I, I like when people ever roll that idea and they're like this is this is bad like never no, well no oh. i'm not saying that what i'm saying is like well, <laughs> some people in the no no some people that are playing at the table may or may not be engaged in it but then other people are but if someone literally just was like this is that's stupid then i'd be like oh, all right well here then please take the seat like people are I, I'm going to say, like, this is just across the board. Uh, you know, I love this hobby, uh, but some people take it way too fucking seriously, man. Like, they need to go and, like, succeed a little bit maybe more in life or something. Because if if your identity is built around how you well you do in a, in a make-believe game where we're all fighting monsters and gaining treasure, then, like, dude, don't sit at my table. That's all I'm going to say. I have I'm never have seen fun. someone have a temper tantrum at a game table. It's never oh, happened. To be no, fair, I've had my share of temper tantrums at a game table. Temper <laughs> tantrum is different. That's, I mean, you're saying, like, if they're just saying the story is just stupid well, or something. Or, I, I mean, know. this happened. This happened in my game. This happened. This was, uh, I think, like, would you say the Strahd situation was this, Tony, in, in, in my game? Uh, I would say it was it was a lukewarm reception. I wouldn't say it so was outright. My reaction was uh, fuck them. <laughs> that was my ahead is the answer. So, but at the same time, I mean, okay, they never really. God, that's a hard question. But actually, at the same time, it's not. My answer is fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. Like, I mean, so let's look at that. Let's look at the specifics. They, the everyone thinks it's a dumb idea. If it's a really dumb idea. Yeah, maybe you back off. This is a situation, and this in particular, the particular situation was the world has an evil thing in its core. Strahd, Strahd was showing up kind of spectrally, and his whole interest was he wanted to try to pull this world and the Ravens off because that would boost his power. So he's there to try to take this world and make it part of his domain in the demiplanes of dread. Um, and he's there to do that by spreading evil. And generally, if he can get enough evil in this world, the way I'm playing, if he can get enough evil in this world, he can pull this into Ravensloft and increase his domain and his power because he basically has the ultimate monster in the basement in this world. Is that stupid? I mean, I didn't feel like that was that bad of an idea. I, I kind of feel like it's, I, it's, it's not than anything else I've run with. How is that anything other than literally open every single module that's ever been written? I mean, if you're just taking it at face value, then they're all stupid, well, right? I, I mean... But they're all awesome, too. It depends on what you do with it. I mean, again, my question is aimed at if you have a specific player. This isn't like the whole table's like, boo, throwing tomatoes oh, at you. Okay. I was thinking like the whole table's like, this is no, stupid. No, no. Like, 
Now, one yeah. player says, I, I don't mean, like the, this idea whatsoever. Well, we had, in the like, encounter with Strahd, we had low engagement with Strahd. The players were kind of goofing off. Several of the players were kind of joking amongst themselves. And I'm like, man, this is your chance to find out what's going on. You said you wanted cool stuff. One of them had said that, like, Strahd was cool, like, the session before. I'm like, all right, you're meeting Strahd. I mean, it's like, it's just it just seems like it's such a personal thing. You know what I mean? It's like, is this idea good or bad? I guess there's some ideas that are objectively bad, but they're objectively bad because, of course, we're all going to die. You know, or like you're like, no, the physics on this doesn't work. If it's that kind of thing, you adjust the physics, you adjust the numbers. If it's just that kind of like ultimately judgmental players, I mean, like I'm not here to be in Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really run into it in that way. Uh, I hope I don't because – that's just well, Tony. Tony, no. what's your answer? I mean, so so that's kind of my feeling. I guess Dave's kind of in the same boat, but Dave maybe hasn't come into it necessarily because there's another thing when your friends are like not rolling with you, right? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things going on when your friends are not willing to come with you on the trip. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah it does. I, I, yeah. I gotta tell you, I uh, I did a 4E campaign that you weren't part of this one, Thorn, and I leveled up the party, and I was really excited to run. The Underdark, because I love the Underdark source book. Like that was just a great piece of material in the 4E book. And I got them in the I got them in the Underdark, and they were down there for like two sessions, and like, well, we're ready to leave. And I'm like, all my plot hooks are here. They're everywhere. You're <laughs> tripping over plot hooks, and there's currently no reason for you to go back to the surface. And they're like, well, we want to go back to the surface. I'm like, Ugh. And I was in that awkward DM moment where it's like, I could say rocks fall and you can't, which I hate. That's, that's really like the kiss of death. Or you let them go. And I let them go. But I, I really felt like I had all this stuff set up, which went completely to waste there. That, that, so that was well, definitely that, a frustrating That game. sounds a little different. That sounds a little different than the way that question was framed that just sounds like the players said okay we want to go this way but you had a lot of story built that you wanted to get them through which is kind of back to what we were talking about before where you got to let them kind of run the ship a little bit you know and you can have all that stuff but uh, at the same time you can bury them so deeply in the underdark they can't get out <laughs> if you start them if you start them that, like a but deep drow city they're not coming out bitching like, about it and yeah Venza Baranza like, just throw them right in the center and they're involved in yeah, the I mean, politics you can, you can stick them, them far enough levels. down the underdark that there's no way out of the like okay you're trying to get out your whole campaign is now trying to get out I mean, well, I, mean I mean Driss like knew how to maneuver through there and it took him a while to hit the surface still you know and there were several encounters uh, no. i already had one player bitching like the bitching w w would have hit epic levels at that point i i would have had to have gouged my eardrums out with an so, within the uh, letter opener like now it w wasn't worth it like fine you're in the surface you're in a generic forgotten realm setting all right time for some generic encounters what do we want to fight a mountain lion that sounds exciting did you have a session zero for this where you said hey we're going to have a campaign exploring the underdark no, because I started them on the surface realm, and there was an entrance to the Underdark, and things were coming out of the Underdark, and then they went into the Underdark, and they were going to explore that and hit these plot points and these plot hooks, and they just weren't having it. So mm. I am kind of coming around a little bit because of some of, like, and that was kind of the feedback I got in that other game, too, was that they wanted kind of more of a lighthearted surface adventuring kind of adventure, and I was like, well, hey, yeah, it starts there, and here's Strahd, and here's the giant spaghetti monster you don't know about underneath the Earth. There is a certain aspect of if you're going from a light camp, when the players come in for a regular fantasy campaign and they get pulled into a campaign where it's going to be heavier or darker than they expected, 
I do think I would not have thought this before we started having this podcast. As we've gone through the process of this podcast, talking this out, watching some other DMs, I'm now on board with the session zero idea that if you want your main, like, and I don't like to ask my players for permission. You know, I really don't. I really feel like this is my world. You know, you're coming in my car. I, I'm driving. You get to, I get to pick the music. Space dinosaurs. Right. But I kind of get it, though, if like you're like, hey, I thought I was going to be playing a fairy tale and instead I'm playing torture porn. Well, then, you know, I guess I can understand why the players are a little rough. Yeah, well, the, the Underdark can get a little rough there. <laughs> no, it's very true. If you want to play Game of Thrones, political intrigue, and they have you, you know, uh, just kicking indoors and killing orcs, that's not what you signed up for. So, yeah, so, again, know your players, and and it's okay to, to give them a couple different thoughts of things that you would like to run. Let's give them separate thoughts, but I'm at least going to tell them what I'm planning. <laughs> <laughs> or that. I'm, gonna, or I'm still going to pick the radio, but I'll let them know what, 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 what the genre of music is, right? <laughs> but, I mean, I think it is kind of where Session Zero makes sense. Everyone gets together. You tell them what kind of thing the adventure is going to be, just so they get a sense of what can they kind of expect and get ready for what it's going to be and decide if they want to be in it or not, or if they want to kind of lobby you for something else. Or maybe you do have two ideas. You know, my problem is my my, my process is so focused on, oh, I have an idea I want to play. It's hard for me to give you six things because I know what I want to do. And if I'm and if I'm if you take something number six, it's like, well, I wanted to play a barbarian, but now I got to play the paladin or the cleric because we need healing. I'm not DMing that like that's not going to be fun for me as a DM. So I think session zero helps with that. Looking back upon that, I'm like, what do you mean? You don't want to go deep underground and walk around in a mining hat for hours. Like, why wouldn't that be fun? I mean, I, I kind of. <laughs> Looking back upon it, it's kind of funny, but uh, at the time, I'm like, oh, man, there was, like, so much great stuff we could have done. Yeah, um, and it sucks. It's like, because you're, like, you, you have, you're excited to play with the monsters and encounters and the NPCs you can have in that area you wanted to play. And if the, if the, if the players are like, well, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with this, yeah, it kind of sucks, you know? There, 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 goes, there goes all that excitement you had. That's all just wasted energy. Thanks, guys. Funny enough, it this reminds me just from Underdark stuff, uh, because what was it? Out of the Abyss, I think, is the, the 5e adventure that uh, runs through the Underdark for the most part. I'm and I've right. seen a lot of reviews on it where people say, like, as cool as it is in the Underdark, it just becomes too much because it's almost just so oppressive just because it's just constant. It's just constant, constant, constant. So I, I that might just be a, the nature of the Underdark, too. I mean, yeah, no, even in the, the, uh, the upper levels of the Underdark, shit gets real very quick and mm. um, it only gets worse. And you look at, like, you know, what Thorne's point was earlier, like, like, why are we doing this? Like, what is our character motivation? Like, let's go deeper into the inner dark, where we go from dangerous to incredibly fucking dangerous. How about <laughs> better idea? Let's go up on the surface and go clear out a castle that's taken out by trolls. That's, like, by comparison, that's a fantastically safe idea. And watch the sunset. A, you know yeah, I mean? that was actually a plot in uh, Boulder's Gate 2. But um, <laughs> you know what, though, it is something to be said for. And we look at if we look at kind of the players who played through the early, like first edition and the big legendary stories there, there was something to be said for the players wanted to delve into the deepest dungeon to get to the bottom level to get the coolest, most powerful stuff. I mean, there can be that as a motivation. I would hope there's that as a motivation, but not every, you know, if your character is very motivated by the fact that he like he lost a relative and he has to go get revenge or he's trying to make a name for himself and, you know, become a, a noble in this kingdom, those kinds of character motivations, they're not driven to go to the deepest, darkest dungeon to find the most powerful stuff. 
you kind of need to build a party of psychopaths to want to do that. But I think if you're session zero and you, you let them know, look, guys, I want we're looking at running a campaign. I want you guys to want to go down there and get this thing, huge legendary artifacts in the bottom levels of the Underdark that you have to steal from under the bed of Orcus himself. Who's up for that? Make me characters who want to do that. Well, then it's different. Then they're building those kind of like, you know, psychopath kind of characters who want to go down there and, 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 and risk it all to get that. Um, yeah, I've come around on Session Zero. Like, it's not my style of gaming, but I really do see the logic of it now. Because something like that, anything where your campaign is going to have a really strong, defining atmosphere, you kind of need to have a moment of rallying the troops and saying, like, all right, who's in with me for, you know, X years of stumbling around in the Underdark? Who's down with that? Who thinks that sounds fun? Yeah, no, Session, I, I have to give that a thumbs up. And I think how Dave handled... Uh, uh, when we're picking what campaign we were doing, we're like, here's your choices. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a campaign where you're like, okay, like what Thorne does the open world. And he's like, well, you guys can do whatever you want. And they're like, well, we didn't like that. Well, your ideas suck then. And you drove your own ideas. So it's, it's a real, <laughs> another catch 22. <laughs> that is what I'm also, trying to set up, especially because I'm like, well, then what else do you want to do? I don't know. Look, you want to open a bakery? We can open a bakery. You just make a plan, will you? <laughs> I wanted to ask one more thing on this topic before we get to final thoughts. Here's the one thing I am really, I have run into a problem with Uh long story pacing. We, I know we did pacing a couple episodes ago, but so in both of the games I've been playing, including in the Woodstock Wanderers, I've hit this thing where I'm like, all right, I see this as like a 20 level adventure. For, I've introduced the bad guys. I've introduced, you know, the, 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 the snakes of the Alakir have the have have been awakening this god beneath the beneath the forest that is actually this giant Lovecraftian type monster that's inside the world. He's going to destroy the world if he awakes. They're they're pulling out their own power. Probably because they're going to leave the world before that. Ha like he's going to wake up and they're like, okay, I'm out. You guys can deal with this. But I saw that as like a 20 level kind of arc. Like I'm thinking long term there. The characters are around level seven, and I've heard on several occasions like, okay. Let's get back to chasing those guys down. And I hadn't originally planned to have the showdown with the Malbion who runs them before like level 15 or so, or even really with the Paladin who, uh, who, the, who are Paladins chasing down, the Anti-Paladin. I had seen that as like a later thing, but I'm finding that kind of trying to stretch that out over 20 levels is maybe too long. Like they saw the adventure, they want to get after it. They don't want to wait and go through all the middle stuff to get there. And I'm thinking about bringing that up. And there's, even from the beginning, I had some ways to do that. There's some other late game stuff I could get into with like kaiju type things, maybe some battle armor. I want to play with that idea. How can I put characters in mechs that actually let them use their abilities in cool ways? That's um, fun. It'd be neat, yeah. I gotta figure because problem the problem with most vehicles is okay, I'm a wizard and I'm now manning a crossbow, trying to fire crossbow bolts when I'd rather fire fireballs. <laughs> Maybe there's a better way to do that where you can be in a mech that lets you be a better wizard for the future. Hmm. But you know, the pacing feels off. And I'm like, I kind of feel like maybe I should have put this Malbion. Maybe like the Sir Morton encounter should have been more like level six or seven. Originally they were gonna fight him coming out of the temple that they were just in, and I punted that because I wanted to do it in person. So COVID kind of pushed it back a little ways. What do you guys like? I mean, in terms of like the story beats, in terms of like, okay, I've got this long-term plan. How do I kind of put this out there in a way that the players appreciate and keep wanting to, and they don't want to jump to the end and they're not bored because we're not getting there. Like what's your, what, what do you do with that? Well, I would say if they're going after this mysterious Malbion, who I did encounter when you were playing on the other end of uh, that campaign, and they're like, let's go get him now. My gut reaction from the player side of this is 
they don't understand that he's apparently that badass that he'd smoke them. Mm. So I, that would need to be established where they're like, okay, we would love to get him. Yep, I, he is really, he is on my shit list. And if we run into a dark alley right now, I'm running away because he'll destroy us. So what are we mm. going to do so we can take this guy down? That's a good point. I have not had him come out for a SmackDown fight. I haven't actually had, they had the Red Cap fights. That was a bit of a SmackDown. They haven't really had the, no, you shouldn't you, have fought this dude fight. Yeah, but you also, it, it that's tough too, because you, you in essence, put out the, the big giant, big bad, right out, right out of the gates, you know? So that's like, oh, okay, we gotta, we gotta stop mm-hmm. this thing. So let's put all of our energy towards just, like you were saying, uh, the paladin is just like, why are we doing this? We need to go find Brother Maynard. Why are we doing, you know? So there's some of that. I but it's called foreshadowing. Yeah, I know. No, I, no, I understand what you're doing, right? Uh, like the same idea as like I brought out Strahd, like is session two yeah. or three. Not so that you guys could beat him, but so that you could be like, oh, okay, he's a big man. He knocked us down. We don't want to. We're gonna get you next time. And admittedly, um, in that game, I am at the point where I'm like, hey, I think maybe we can take Strahd. Why don't we go find no. out? I'm well, kind of there. That, so, so that's, that's, way different. that's way different because, in essence, that whole adventure is only built to go up to, like, you know, 10th, 11th, you know, so yeah. mid-tier stuff. Um, I will say, like, with the Slaver's Bay one, because I had ideas as how this could draw out over, you know, 1st through 20th. And, in essence, the arcs that it would take you through certain tiers – were were a somewhat built like for instance this whole first part of the adventure going into Thrace and and all of this was going to take you through all of first tier mm-hmm. and then second tier would be something third you know so um that's a good yeah. question though it's a good question because if they start to say well let's just go beat the big bad like like in the storm case if we're just like well why don't we just go like right to the giant council like right now i mean we're like level two go like, get that crack you know go do it guys but yeah get him, get him ray that's a, it's something go I get those legendary really items just go get them right now i think you should try that well, I'm, a, I'm afraid my warrior my my, my fighter battle master is going to be less cool yeah i feel like he's getting less cool by the level i feel like i kind of tapped topped him out a little bit where i'm like he was really cool but now it's like well i kind of have all the stuff oh no he doesn't really keep advancing the same way some of these magic users do he'll still be good i honestly don't know i haven't playtested a higher level fighter in this system he can throw a lot of hairy fists i mean but that also kind of puts the point on maybe that maybe my thinking and there's other ways I can do this. So there is no there, there, there there's no spoilers here because I'm not exactly sure what's coming next. I know in general <laughs> what those players need to do. We're playing this Friday. We're going to find out this Friday. They're back in the area where the where the snakes of the Alakia are operating. We're going to find out Friday how close and what kind of situation they've come back into. How many Gothic Kingdom commoners have been eaten by the by Ganatothwa. Uh, we'll find out this, uh, this Friday. But yeah, so it's, I mean, do you think about like how, how often do you want to have them fight a big bad? How often do you want to resolve like a subplot, like a, it's not quite a subplot because a subplot is something else. But, you know, if your plot has like, do you kind of plan like four or five major mini bads they fight along the way and kind of mini climaxes they have on the way to the big climax? Do you do, you do any of that? I, I actually kind of like that idea. I feel that I like scaling bosses. I like scaling XP, I like scaling gold, and I like scaling bosses, where you finish this game, and it's like, okay, 
you defeated this boss and we're moving on. And the next boss, at the end of this game, if you actually do clear it, let's just say you're making this, you're finishing everything in this game in this shot. We actually do get some pretty serious playtime sessions in there. You mm-hmm. move on to the next scalable opponent where it's not as simple as saying, well, you killed a hill giant next game. You're killing a stone giant. It's 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 definitely getting tougher. The football's moving. The characters are improving. They're learning more about their powers, their abilities. And that's kind of natural in how the D&D works. Yeah, I mean, I had I, I had a whole, like I said, with Slaver's Bay, like there were so many uh, various things that would open up following uh, like that first tier of play that would take care of, you know, secondary tiers following that. You know, because if you went this way in the world and, and hit this town and whatever was happening over there, that would lead to all types of other things. And that would lead because there wasn't necessarily a ultimate big bad. There were many things that were happening mm-hmm. that you would run into as you went along. It felt like a very political campaign. Like I felt like there was a lot of factions. Well, to there do. is, there is a lot of that within the the that the the main city of Zaprora, right? So the main Aurelian Empire and all of that. Uh, but there were multiple things that were happening. So wherever you would go, you would start to get things, and then you can just start to up the power or decrease the power of certain things that they run into, depending on when they run into it or if they run into it. You know, it's interesting. We're talking through this and, you know, and we kind of started kind of a little bit kind of like talking about kind of where Tony's game, uh, very plot focused and the players maybe uh, kind of losing the plot, losing the forest for the trees. Now we're coming back at the end here. We're talking about the weakness in my style where it's like, okay, my style is organic. Let it grow organically. Let them chase along. Except, you know what? Now I'm now I am hitting a point where I'm like, you know, maybe I do need some story beats. (laughs) <laughs> maybe as much as it's like an open world doesn't do the thing, maybe I do need some like little chapter breaks here. You know, maybe I should have done a little bad, big bad, uh, which I kind of have, but I really introduced them both already. You know, I don't think you guys you. have actually seen the Malbion. On the, Tony's pl- character on the player though. side, I did. on the player side of it, it though, I will still say your game is still running as if there's a story and the beats and the chapters and all of that. It doesn't read as if it's just this, who the hell knows where we're going? I mean, we have a, a, a set point. I My thought was that we were never going to get to that thing or be able to even come close to it until we were at a certain level of power, right? Well, I guess, you know, there's two things there. One is that when I say I don't have a story, that's not entirely accurate. There is a thread. Oh, because in building a world that has powers that are acting of their own accord and they're doing their own thing, that creates your overarching tension. That's your that's your plot. That is your exactly. that is your arc, right? Because if you ignore it's not so much that there's a story of, okay, like I'm not running you through and Trist, through Tristan and Isolde. I am kind of running you through, you know, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. There are things coming and going and rising and falling that are going to create a story. And there is a story in there as far as what like there are major beats that could yeah. or will happen in my head. So, I mean, there is a story, but the story is much more macro level of world events and the individual stuff is really player driven and how the players do their individual stuff will determine which macro events happen and also how they interact with it. Right. Theoretically, Mm -hmm. they could be on the side trying to wake him up. That's an option. If you guys decide you want to start sacrificing villagers and get on team big bad, you could do it. I don't, I'll play that. Uh, Just like in the other game, they could have, they could have taken the, they could have given, you know, Strahd a sip and I would have let them play as vampires. Woohoo. Here we go. You're not turning over your character. No, you're playing that hungry vampire. Let's do it. Um, Or play it out. (laughs) Welcome to the Fletcher Vampire, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) 
but it is like, you know, at the same time, I am running into those things of I'm looking for some time where I can kind of stop and think creatively and come up with the rest of my story and my plot points that you guys can run into in which ones are going to happen. Like, there's a lot you haven't done. You haven't run into a single NPC yet. I mean, that's where I get really dirty. You know, oh, I get to make a level 15 character to put against my players. <laughs> Let's show them what they could have been. You know, that's that's where I get dirty. So there's a lot that can still there's a lot that's still going to happen. But. It is like, you know, I'm like, all right, yes, we see it in my pants, but now there is a point where maybe I need to chart this out a little better now that I know what they're interested in. I've got them on their own hooks. I have their characters interested. Now I got to decide where I'm pulling them to. And that is on me. That's not on them. So, yeah, I think it kind of like like all the, all the styles have their strengths and weaknesses. You kind of can learn from to put together and build your own best campaign. You know, that's really the, the, the art of DMing. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like I feel almost contractually obligated now to give Dave some feedback while we're uh, oh, doing geez. this. I think oh, so. Man. Let it I go. Feel that, hmm. oh, Actually, I really, I, I really, I really enjoy Dave's style. It's it's very different than mine. Um, but I feel we can both get the same way, get to the same place in the end. One thing I've noticed about our game, it's kind of an obvious point. I and this is this again. I've said this before. This is because of the campaign setting. I have a character who's almost level seven and he doesn't have one actual magical item. And I have to say that when Thorne's wife took the cloak of protection back in like game two or three, if I had known I was going to see another magical item for like (laughs) seven games, we would have been like wrestling on the ground over that. Like, no, give me that. (laughs) That would have been a free for all. We got some magical items out of the out of the bone grinder, didn't we? Or no? Uh, they have potions. They're not permanent items. Yeah, that's so true. It, yeah, I'll let you, that, that was a that was a pretty good load of consumables. Yeah, tell you the truth, uh, a big part of that is because I've been running it uh, pretty close to book. Uh, I've, yeah, I've adjusted yeah. I've adjusted certain things, right? But I've been running it generally pretty close to book, and there's definitely magic stuff through that area. But it's not not on the same level. Like, I mean, you give it out like you're giving out. Uh, uh, oh my God, it's just we. I feel like we get a magic item every session. <laughs> um, the no, issue would be but um, I mean, it depends. That, like I, I gave you a lot of treasure, and I'm like, go ahead and shop. I, yeah. I, I love the dynamic. You know, what do I have? Yeah, that, like, honestly, that, if I. That works when you're flying around in an airship within the Forgotten Realms. It doesn't quite work when you're in a demiplane that's ruled over by one character. Like, he wouldn't necessarily just no. allow people to be, you know, selling no, matches that could kill but him. Here, here's a really horrifying reality check that I shouldn't share with the players who are listening, but this is truth. It doesn't matter. Like, really, like, my character, my PC who's in that game versus my PC in your game... Yeah. Are they really that far apart? Yeah. Not really. Well, I mean, like a we've said great, this before, like, right? We've said yeah. it before, where the five E, the way the characters are leveled, gives so much more mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel the same. That you need to have all these items to make up for it, right? I'll throw two things in there. Yeah. One, I actually really, Dave, I would recommend you keep it this way. For one simple reason, I do want to see how a book module runs using Watsi's approach, because I want to see how I feel about, you know, me and Tony are coming at it, maybe you two are coming at it from a point of view of second edition, where the way the DM rewarded players was half XP and half magic items. Uh Fifth edition's aesthetic is different, and I want to experience that. Like, I want to have a counterpoint 
to what I've done with this with second edition all for all those years and for and even fourth edition. I want cool. to see how do I feel about it when we get through a whole campaign that's been like low in magic items. Personally, I haven't missed them. Personally, clearly, uh, Tony, no, it, it doesn't doesn't really having rare magic items has been okay because I'm more interested in getting the new powers. I'm totally, I'm really, I'm really liking getting new spells. And every time I level up, I like kind of rejigger my character because I can swap out stuff. And like, so like I got rid of suggestion for Hunger of Hadar. So my big, my big game changing play from one game to another totally changed. Like it was suggestion yeah. a couple episodes ago last in this adventure on Friday night. It was, you know, we had a 20, we had a 20 by 20 room with a bunch of cultists in it. And I literally got to do my dream play. Hunger of Hadar and shut the door with them inside. Sit outside and talk about lunch while they all met an elder god. I mean, I loved, like, I wanted to do that when I took the spell. It was perfect. Point two is that actually, Tony, in your game, we're having two conversations. On the one hand, we're talking about how the magic items don't matter that much. On the other hand, we're talking about how the party keeps mowing through guys and you're throwing all these hill giants at us and we're just eating them like we're a wood chipper they're running into. These things are not unrelated. On the one hand, yeah, I can see why like a plus one isn't that big a deal. But if you look at it like the way, if you were to look at the way the proficiency bonus works, an extra plus one is effectively equal to five levels. Or was it like, because you get an extra, you get a plus it's, one to your proficiency. Yeah, because like it's the bounded accuracy yeah. uh, built so, so, for it. Especially the plus stuff, increasing in a plus basically jumps you up a tier, not just a level. So it does have a bigger impact than you might realize. I, I wouldn't say you're mowing through them like you're a wood chipper. You did some really fantastic tactics. There's a difference between if I had fought that battle, do that. let's redo that fight. Let's yeah. do it on a flat map versus yeah, but you, where you but were. We, we should never run into totally a flat different. map against eight hill giants. We'd be stupid for doing that. I'm if we see a saying, flat map, we're waiting at the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the wood chippers rethinking that. So, I mean, they did. They <laughs> but did, no, like, like I was saying, I, from all sides. I definitely am trying to run it uh, as close to book as I possibly can, though, because of that. Because I, I also, for myself, want to see. How does Curse of Strahd run? How does it play? Yeah. So that I can say, I like this, I don't like this, but I want to see how it plays out first. And I've yeah. been a little bit like that in my games too, except for, you know, I've kind of been trying to, I've never looked in the book at when should players get items. I did look in the book for, okay, so what items should I throw out at what levels? And I stuck to that more, sometimes less, definitely throw out some higher level items than I, than I technically should have. But I kind of listened to the players, and the players started grumbling about, oh, I got no magic, I throw out some magic. I tried not to overdo it. I don't know, I gave out a fair amount of stuff. And the two games magicked up differently, because the game Tony was in actually had a lot more magic items than the game Dave was in. Where for a long time, like they were like, do we ever find magic items? Like, oh yeah, sure. Here's a friendly NPC who's got a horde of magic items he's going to give you. I'll put something in here for each of you. Uh, and then like, it's been more like that, though. It's like they're, they're finding magic items not like just lying around. Like they find them when they get to an important horde. Usually yeah. it's someone who wants to help them overthrow the snakes of the Alakir, has a horde of treasure, and gives them the treasure. That's usually how they're getting items. It's not like just lying around in monster dens. Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably pushing the pace more than Watsy would, but less than Tony would probably prefer it. So Tony, we know how you've reacted. You've been just throwing in a ton of magic, right? Well, I mean, you guys are level eight now, and you are the, the way this is going to, to play down. And the way I'm seeing it is, you're going after multiple giant strongholds. And th to me, this is kind of a redo of a matter of speaking. The Storm King's Thunder, like this section of it, is very similar to how it was handled 
in Against oh the Giants. uh yeah where you're you're attacking all these different clan holds and I gotta tell you the Hill Giant one's tough. I mean, I don't want to discredit this very heroic thing that you guys just did. That well, it's, the, it's the lowest level of giants. They're glorified ogres. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, they're absolutely. Glorified, exactly right. They're dumb. Um, they had no tactics. Stone Giants. We just talked about that. They're it's different between like a Kia and a Maxima. And and now that when you guys get up to like Frost and Fire. That shit's real. Like, I remember being in second edition where we were the Fire Giant stronghold, and I'm like, whose idea was this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? Like, I mean, was I hammered back in the tavern when I agreed to this? Like, that was that was really intense. But fourth edition items, forget the second edition version, bro. The fourth edition was like, I mean, my Diablo characters had less magical items than I did in fourth. Well, that was part of the problem with fourth was that you were expected to have access to any magic item from the book to complete your character. And it wasn't this, that was, I don't want to get into edition wars, but yeah, fourth edition, I did not like that approach. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like my, I need my magic boots and my cloak and my belt and my gloves and my hat and my scarf was really, <laughs> that, that was something in the wrong direction. Your pluses, as far as uh, the items you have now, I mean, everyone with few exceptions is operating still with a plus one weapon or which plus I think one is armor. Appropriate. Yeah. I guess, which so is, I'm throwing out the really miscellaneous magic. The miscellaneous <laughs> magic's a little different. And I'm giving you pluses in places that don't apply to your, like your primary stat. Like I'm being very <laughs> careful with that. That's different. So if you're getting extra charisma bonuses, that's an entirely different situation. Like my, my character Hawk in Dave's game, I rolled him, and he was preposterous. Like, he had nothing but great stats. I'm like, wow, this is going to be really broken. And it it's not. Because it's mm. not part of what he's doing. He only has X amount of strength, X amount of con, X amount of effects. And who cares what his intelligence is? Maybe when he makes an intelligence save, that might matter. But even then, not really. Because he's not proficient in it, you know. And when was the last time your intelligence was attacked? And by what? Like a, a magic item? I mean, that it's rare. It's going to be all intellect devourers next session. No, wait yeah, a well, I'm sure Strahd's got some intelligence saves. It'll be all mind players. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I guess, great. And, and that's, you know, and the other thing you've done in your game is you've introduced that manual of training. The, uh, oh, uh, it's like a manual of teamwork. Zephyrus's magic, marvelous manual of, of, of tactical fleets. Yes. Um, and like, so basically if we go during a session, we can go through, we can do a challenge from the book and that tends to give us a bonus that ties into skills and they tend to be skills we're not already proficient in. Therefore, there are things we're not necessarily good at. So it's more like bringing up the floor than raising the ceiling, which has been pretty cool. You know, I've enjoyed that. And actually, I mean, some of the things I've increased have been things I have good stats in, you know, it's let me kind of pad that out. It does have me looking at, because we've gotten some of that, I'm looking at, like, well, do I want to take the skilled feat and add three skills and benefit from some of these things? Um, but it's been, you know, it's, that's been pretty cool, too. I, I don't know if that'll how that'll work out. It means that it would theoretically mean that you don't have any really truly weak stuff. Um, I don't know, though. So far, Zhang's, my Zhang still does have weak saves, definitely. There are definitely still stats he doesn't want to roll. <laughs> well, I feel like the, and those are the safe places where I could... Increase, like I can give you those type of rewards and it's not train wrecking things. So mm -hmm. you have an extra, you have an extra bonus with your persuade, your intimidate. Maybe you get a bonus in your charisma save or something. Great. You did give us an extra feat. That seemed a little bonkers. Uh, well, I loved it. Is that really giving out an extra feat? Was that really the crazy moment? 
Well, Polar Master, because let me get into Polar Master early, which gave me that, like, which gave me basically one of his really cool things several levels earlier than I would have gotten to it. On the other hand, if I had rolled better in the beginning, I would have had Pam to start. So, you know, I guess it's, or Pam at level four. So I guess it really depends, right? Right. It can. Like, I mean, it it certainly gives you an advantage, but like a lot of people took like Lucky as their fourth level feat and stuff. And Lucky's fun. Actually, in some respects, I think, um... Lucky's better than, uh, yeah, it's better than, it's better than War Mage in some respects because, you you know, like, I mean, I'm sorry, it's like, oh, I can get an extra advantage of my, my, um, versus my concentration or everything that I might possibly need three times in a long rest. I mean, if you you check the the chat about it online, there are absolutely DMs who hate Lucky and they ban it because people luck everything. I had Lucky in Days game and it came in very handy. I didn't feel like it was ridiculous, but I felt like I really needed it sometimes. Like I want to do something cool and I blew the roll. Lucky? And then still would sometimes blow the roll, which really sucks. (laughs) The infamous double one. Like that, that's some rough stuff though. So, I mean, there's cool things you can do with feats. And I guess, you know, we are far afield. We should come back to the feet, maybe the feats and rewards discussion later. Maybe that's another future episode. Really to get into, okay, what are our favorite things to do with rewarding players in-game, mechanically, and things like that. Get into some of the other crazy stuff we've done. All right, so I want to throw this out there in the final thoughts realm. Uh, I want to see uh, a piece of advice from both of you guys uh, that you'd give to both the newer storyteller and the season one that they can use to improve uh, the story within their game. Yeah, it's kind of the same for both. Um, Don't be so focused on your story that you forget that there are people who are actively creating it at the table each session. So plan, prepare for the session, prepare prepare for the next session. Um, For the big, long story arcs, have some ideas, have a thought pattern as to what, where they are in certain tiers, uh, where you'd like to see the story go, and then allow that to adjust as you go forward. Keep some campaign notes, you know, as the, as it, as it continues, but don't be so focused that you forget that there are people that are actively playing the game with you. (laughs) For me, Uh, I'm just going to go back to one of the first things we talked about here tonight, which is keep in mind the way the players are experiencing your story and what you want to emphasize. What are the really important things you want them to remember and repeat it? So your players are coming in. It's episodic for them. They're going to be immersed in this for a few hours one day. They might not see it again for a month, depending on how things go. So you want to be able to tell your story with enough emphasis and repetition that they get the important parts. And I think you want to probably pare away the unimportant parts. Like you can have things that you're not going to be emphasizing should be optional. They should be things it's nice if they remember, but they don't have to cut down to the things you really want them to remember, figure out how you can deliver them in a way they're going to get them, remember them and make that with a real center point of your story. That is a bit of simplifying because really you're only going to get players to really come out like with like one or two things a session, really like one thing per, 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 per kind of scene, per kind of encounter. So pick wisely, you know, what things do you want them to remember from this particular game session, pare it down, make sure it ties together. That's really what they're taking away as your plot. And just remember that focus, strip down and repeat the things you want them to remember. Like I'm repeating this for about the 12th time tonight. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Well the old copywriting trick. Buy my book. Um, for the seasoned storyteller, 
Uh, you have some successful campaigns undoubtedly under your belt. Do yourself a favor, though. Don't write anything as complex as Tolkien or the creators of Metal Gear would. Otherwise, you're going to need either players to read a novel before they enter your campaign, or you'll have a story that it barely even makes sense to you at the end of it. For the newer storyteller, I'd say be comfortable with your material. Have fun. Don't be afraid you might fail. Uh, like I said, some of my best lessons as a DM came out of failure. Also, don't be afraid to put that time in. The overall stories, uh, the rules aren't as important as everybody at the table enjoying themselves. And finally, don't get too lost in the areas of the game that uh, you really don't enjoy as much, such as map making, so much that your plot suffers. In all my years as a DM, I've never heard anyone say, well, I gotta tell you, my DM's plot kind of stinks, but my God, those maps are incredible. <laughs> Hey guys, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Uh, it was a good conversation tonight. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. Remember, if you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, give us five stars or a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're catching us. We really appreciate the support and you know, let your friends know. The podcast is growing and we'd love for more people to get on the boat. Let us know what you think at threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com and leave a comment in the, you know, what's your problem box you can find us on facebook and twitter we were interacting there all the time so till next week have a great game we'll catch you next time on three wise dms